Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that includes everything you need to ace your GRE exam. A full textbook, tons of GRE questions backed by our memory enhancing algorithm, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we've got Dr. Don Martin from Grad School Roadmap back with us, and really excited to have you here again. Uh, If you could just give a quick bio about yourself and your company for people that maybe haven't uh, listened to the last episode, that'd be great. Sounds good, Tyler. And yes, let me just say it's great to be back with you. I enjoy these conversations. I hope we can have more of them down the road. My background is largely, if not entirely, uh, in the graduate enrollment and student services space. I was very lucky to land an admissions job right out of college. And as soon as I was working in that position for about a month or two, I fell in love with it and never left. And I've been doing admissions and and enrollment management work ever since, 28 years full-time at four institutions, including Columbia University of Chicago and Northwestern, and then these last 15 years uh, as founder and CEO of Grad School Roadmap, a boutique organization strictly for the purpose of helping individuals who are looking to further their education at the master's or doctoral level. It's been a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. I've loved just about every minute of it. And now, as I get to the senior side of my life, (laughs) I'm getting opportunities to speak with colleagues such as yourself about aspects of the of the application process, which I greatly enjoy. Yeah, well, and this one was one where you had a really strong opinion. You want to talk about how important recommendation letters are, right? Right. And what you told me, which I thought was interesting, was 95% are meaningless. So what is it that, I mean, I think we should start there, right? Like, what what is the mistake that everybody's making with their recommendation letters right now? And then how can people actually go get recommendation letters that are really going to move the needle. Yeah. I'll, I just want to qualify. If you were speaking to another Dean of admissions, their percentage might be different than that. 95% was for me as a Dean of admissions that I found 95% of the recommendation letters I looked at felt did not help me at all. They were of no value. And to put that into some context, Tyler, during the 28 years that I was an admissions Dean, and did this work, I evaluated probably over 125,000 applications. So I don't right. say that to brag, but if you if you multiply that at least by two, because there were at least two letters of recommendation and sometimes more, that's quite a lot of recommendation letters over a period of time. And that's a very strong statement to say that 95% of them were useless, but that is that was my experience. What is the mistake that I believe caused that? Basically, I don't believe applicants have any idea how critical recommendation letters really are to their application because I believe there's a perception out there that they're almost some sort of perfunctory undertaking. Everybody asks you for a letter of recommendation, so you just get somebody to say, you know, Tyler's a great guy, Dr. Don's a great guy, you should you should admit him, and that's it. Well, that is just not true. And be, because of that, uh, 
So many of these letters are poorly written. They don't cover what was asked of them by the admissions committee in that particular instance. And in some cases, it's very evident that this recommender doesn't even know the applicant very well, if at all. They're a friend of the family, right. or they met them at a dinner party, or it's just so benign. And so uh, that's that's where I believe the mistake comes in and causes this enormous number of very unhelpful aspects and components of the application. So maybe then let's let's first dig into un, the unhelpful part. All right. right. What you, what is helpful? What are you looking for when you read these things? And you've got somebody maybe that you're on the fence about or whatever it is. This kind of yeah. Great question. I define a good recommender as someone who knows the applicant long enough and well enough to provide the information requested by the admissions committee. So that's my definition of a good recommender. How can they most be helpful? If that's the case, if we already have that in place, they can be most helpful by truly giving the admissions committee what they're asking for in that letter. Many recommenders will write what you might call a canned letter of recommendation, some more generic letter. And then they plug in the name of the institution and they just send the same letter to everybody. Well, the problem with that is not everybody was asking the same questions or in the same order or they didn't they are right it would be nice i guess if there was a common recommendation form but there isn't and as soon right. as as soon as an admissions committee reads a letter of recommendation that clearly was not written for them that only hurts the chances of that applicant instead of helping them oh big time yeah i would imagine it, it's a major and it's so evident very early on that this person did not look at the recommendation letter that they were supposed to be writing they didn't they didn't read the instructions they didn't look at the questions they clearly just sat down and wrote something this another big mistake is applicants will ask recommenders to possibly write as many as 10 letters for them well my, in my work with my clients i advise them never to ask someone to write more than 3 or 4 so that that person has the time to put into preparing that letter if they're asked to do 10 it would stand a reason that they might be tempted to be a little bit more, you know, just do one and then change the name and send it out to everybody. Right. Or just like one format at the bare minimum. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So what are you looking for when you get these letters then? Like, like to go back to the helpful point, right? Like okay. what are the things where you're like, ah, this is what I wanted to learn. Here's what is very helpful from recommenders. First, an assurance that they do know this applicant and that they have worked with them right. in a professional capacity for at least a year, at least a year, if it, hopefully more. Secondly, they need to be able to, if asked, and they will be, what, what do you believe are the strongest points about this applicant? What, what are their strengths? Mm -hmm. Many, 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 more often than not, they will, they will provide what they believe are the applicant's strength, and they, they very well may be, but there are no examples at all. There's no context or, you know, if, if someone said to you about me, 
You know, Dr. Don is an amazing communicator. You might be tempted to ask them, well, how do you know that? How did you make that uh, uh, evaluation of, of Dr. Don Martin? Why do you say that? Well, we do the same with recommenders. If you're, when you, when, as a recommender, when you say something about your mm-hmm. applicant in a positive way, you need, if you say, you know, Tyler is a phenomenal leader. He has the ability to bring people together and, and help them effectively work together to accomplish goals. Okay. And here is how I know that. Or here is a time when I observed that. Or I've observed that many times. Here are one or two examples. That is so unusual. I, I know this sounds so strange, but it is. It's so unusual that a recommender will go that far. When they do, right. that just serves to cement their credibility. Okay, they really did notice this. Another, uh, another major way of helping the candidate, and this may seem counterintuitive, but uh, 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 recommenders are going to be asked to share what they believe is a weakness of this candidate also. Now, usually it's not said, where are they weak? It's more, what are some, what is something you've talked with them about or you, you believe they could work to improve? And the truth mm-hmm. is, every human being has areas to work on. Every one of us do. But applicants and recommenders, for some reason, are so scared about that part of the recommendation because they think, I guess, if somebody makes them look human or actually answers that question with some sort of substantive response, that that applicant will be denied. Well, the opposite is the case. If you Mm. don't give some information like that, first of all, it shows you don't know this person very well, or secondly, you are just avoiding that particular part of the the recommendation letter. Uh, I I am a a very impatient person sometimes. It's something I have to work on. It's it's just part of my being, and I know it. It hasn't ruined my career, but it is certainly, if those who know me well would say, (laughs) you know, this is is an issue for Don. This is something he needs to work on. Well, that's what a recommender, you know, I, I, uh, I, you know, I I met with Don about a month ago, did his performance review, and here's, here's one or two things we talked about. There again, right. that absolutely is is a, a, a way of boosting the appeal of that applicant. Lastly, so, some recommenders or some recommendation letters have a grid on them where they will list character traits or qualities and then ask the recommender to rate that candidate on those traits from so it's usually superior, outstanding, good, fair, poor. Well, clearly you do not want a recommender to rate you poorly on any of them. That would not be good. Right. But conversely, you do not want a recommender to rate you superior on all of them either. And because what that looks like to the admissions committee is that person did not even read them. They just said, oh, Here's the superior box. I guess I should check this for all of them. Otherwise, that will not be good. Nothing could be further from the truth. If I looked at a grid and every single box was checked superior, I went right on to the next part of the application. I didn't look any further because I knew that that recommender hadn't. Nobody is superior on every single one of those traits. I don't care who they are. Nobody is. Right. There, there would be a distribution of some, some superiors, some outstandings, maybe even some goods. You don't want to do fair or poor too often, but you do not want a straight superior sweep, we, would we say. 
And that's what often happens. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, um, reading between the lines here a little bit, it really seems like the first and most important thing is that like this person actually knows you at all. Exactly. Right. But then knows you well. And then you're really looking for like real actual kind of marks from somebody. It's almost like a report card. That's right. That's well, uh, applicants make them. A, I would, I, I got a, a recommendation letter one time when I worked at the Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago. One of my staff walked in literally shaking. They were so excited. They said, wait, do you see this? Wait, do you see this? It was a letter from the then vice president of the United States. And I opened the letter. It was two sentences. Literally, it didn't, it didn't even address, it didn't say, dear Chicago admissions committee. It said, to whom it may concern. And I knew right away <laughs> I was reading a form letter. Two sentences in the letter. I am writing to recommend so-and-so to the School of Business. And then the second sentence was something like, he is an upstanding citizen of the United States of America. Sincerely yours, Vice President so-and-so. And I sat there and I thought, do you mean to tell me that he thought this was going to somehow cause us to be really excited about what the, there was not that that applicant was denied. <laughs> it, it served. Well, I feel like your it worked on your colleague, right? But that's because she maybe didn't know or I, I don't know. It, it, it didn't, it didn't help. Uh, it, it did not help. And, and this p applicants often think if they get the president of the company or the most well-known alumnus or something like this to do this letter, all of a sudden that's going to open all kinds of doors. And that is, far less likely than they may think. Right. So then the goal really should be to find somebody that is someone that you worked with a lot, right? And that's absolutely you, like typically your manager. What what if you don't have the best relationship with your manager or they're not happy that you want to leave? Then you shouldn't use them. Good qu excellent question. We I I oftentimes would get letters from applicants stating if my boss finds out I'm doing this, they will fire me immediately. So I don't, do I have to use them? And of course, I'd say absolutely not. We don't want you to put yourself in jeopardy in that way. Uh, so what happens is then you might move to a former supervisor that you worked with. Or in some cases, depending on how far out you are from your undergraduate years, you might have a faculty member you're still in touch with, with whom you worked very closely as a teaching assistant or a research assistant. You may have other clients you serve in in your business capacity in a professional way but that you've worked with maybe you did some consulting with a client for 6 months there there are other types of individuals that can do this for you it does not have to be your immediate supervisor absolutely not right yeah and the goal is just for it to be useful right <laughs> it it is to bring a, the, oh here's another thing i often say some candidates get a little carried away. I think they're doing it out of a good intention, Tyler. But they, they applicants are told, you need to convey confidence. You need to put your best foot forward. You need to let them know that you believe you can do this. And so sometimes they go a little overboard in pumping themselves up or promoting themselves. Like, I was I was the best thing at this or whatever. The, the person to toot the horn is the recommender especially if they're going to do it in the way I just talked about and say, look, Tyler is a star at going out and closing deals. He just, he has it nailed. 
Okay. And here's how I know that. And here that I've seen this time after time after time that they're the, if they can toot your horn like that and they, it's based on them knowing you, working with you, observing you, that's the best of all worlds for a recommendation letter. Right. So then it really does feel to me like we've kind of come to like the second thing. You okay. Know what I mean, uh, which is that it should be not just somebody who actually knows you well, but also somebody who provides real examples, show not tell of what you've done. No, no doubt about it. No, no. If, if you, if you were, hiring someone if you or i were hiring someone and we got a letter of recommendation or spoke with someone and they would say all these accolades but there was nothing to support what they said that would be a very lame endorsement in my opinion mm -hmm. i don't want to just know what someone is able to do or what i want to know how you have arrived at that conclusion how did you what is it that you've observed because if you don't do that it's going to look like you just thought, okay, what are the five things I can say about this person that might sound the best and just pull them out of a hat and put them in the letter with no frame of reference, no context. And that's, that's where, again, in all honesty, Tyler, I would say at least 90% of the letters I read were like that. It just felt like they, they just thought, well, what'll sound good to them? What should I, it was like they were Instead of really talking about that person, it was more, what can I, what adjectives can I come up with? What traits will they really like? And so that's right. what I'll throw in there. Well, and it's like, I, I mean, this happens when I write LinkedIn recommendations for people even as, you know, it's so-and-so did a great job. You know, they, they showed their ability to do X, Y, Z. You don't generally, in a, like a letter of recommendation for like work settings, you don't generally say they increase sales by $20 million through this campaign over the course of two years. Like not, at least not what I've seen on LinkedIn. And you know what? You, you hit the net and that's, that's the mistake they're making. What do folks put on their resumes when they list their accomplishments in a particular job? They do say those very things. Sales increased. Well, they should, yeah. Complaints went down. And and that's what it that's what a recommender that shows that that you know th this guy uh, this guy or I, I've been using men's names. Let's go for some of the ladies. Let's say Sarah's been working with us for two years now, and here our sales have gone up, complaints have gone down, and and here's how that ha here's when that happened in this month this happened or we got this in this and and they give some specific information. That's that's huge. That is extremely mm. helpful to be able to provide that background. Right. And so I guess my question is like, why? Um, not, I'm asking a little bit facetiously, right? But I, but I do want you to kind of explain to the audience, like, what's the importance of the real world examples? Because I mean, if somebody's like, this person's got great leadership skills, why not take the word of face value? Why do you need a story for it? That's, that's just sort of playing devil's advocate here. Good. I'm glad you did. And I will try not to elongate this answer too much. I could spend an hour talking about this topic. It's very, it's very important <laughs> that you actually brought this up. So I'm going to have to backtrack a little bit and start yeah. with in, in most graduate admission situations, undergraduate, 
maybe sometimes not as much. But at the graduate level, there tends to be smaller class sizes. Certainly in the, mm. you know, master's classes size are much smaller than undergraduate. You could have had right. 7,000 students in an undergraduate program at an institution, and they might have 50 in their master's program. So just by virtue of the class size, and if you take that to the doctoral level, you could you could be only taking one or two doctoral students a year. That's about all they take. Because in that case, those students are fully funded. The institution pays right. for everything. So you're starting off as an admissions dean with a much smaller class size, but proportionally a much larger applicant pool. You have to decide at, at, at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, I, I could bring in anywhere from 485 to 505 students. They would give me varying numbers between those each year. Our applicant pool could be as high as 5,000. 5,000 right. people for 500 seats. One in 10. And the academic achievements of most of these applicants, their, their professional backgrounds, their community service and involvement, these, these, I was just, I was, I was amazed to look at all of these things, these accomplishments. So if you just took a look at all of those, you could say, you know, I could have thrown the applications up in the air and whichever ones came down on the left got admitted and whatever ones came down on the right were denied. But what you quickly learn, I think, in life is what people put on paper, while it may be true, may not be the whole story about those people. So they got straight A's. So they worked with XYZ Firm that was the top in the nation. And so they did volunteer work with United Way for 10 years and served with Teach for America or whatever. That's all well and good. But that still doesn't tell me much about them. The closest way we get to know applicants beyond their, their accomplishments are their essay questions and their letters of recommendation. And the only way we get to know them outside of themselves in their application is one thing, letters of recommendation. Having said that, maybe that helps now, as I say, how critical this is to have credible, insightful, honest feedback in these recommendation letters, because that's the only other way we're going to know anything about these folks. Uh, until we would meet them face-to-face, so to speak. And so, now, granted, the chances that someone would ever ask another person to write a letter of recommendation if they thought the recommendation would be bad, that's very minuscule. That, But that, of course, if that happened at any time in my tenure, that applicant was denied right on the spot. If a recommender said, don't take this person, <laughs> that that ended it. That didn't happen as often, but but what did happen so often is here was a chance for this applicant to demonstrate, look, I am I am all the things that you're seeing on my resume and maybe more, but I don't think it's I don't want to be the one to say that. It looks like I'm, you know, bragging or, or going way overboard on pumping myself up. So I'm gonna get some folks that know me long enough and well enough who will be honest. And will help, you know, will present this 
really positive picture of me backed up by proof. Right. Well, and I think it's, um, it's just important, like you said, it's the only third-party perspective you get. Yep. And, it's, and it's usually two. I would advocate for more letters of recommendation. If I were setting, you know, I, I believe two is not always the most helpful. I would advocate for three or four. Um, and something else, Tyler, I don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not trying to get us off the topic here of what you were just asking me, but along with this, it is very mm. important in the right sense of this word for applicants to actually coach their recommenders. Now, I will be happy to define for you if you would like me to. I, I don't know how much time we have left, but uh, I would be more than willing <laughs> to, to define what I mean by coaching your recommenders because that almost sounds unethical. And of course, I don't mean that. But you applicants need to work with their recommenders to a certain extent to help them so that they can provide good letters for them. Right. No, I mean, we, I think we have as much time as you need, really, uh, to go over this. But I, I think that particularly um, I'm interested in what advice you give to coach your recommenders. I don't think it's a, a, an ethical problem at all because, like, you're just trying to help him write this essay and make sure that he doesn't do things like forget to use examples or use the same format and copy paste it and change the name 10 times. You know, those are very reasonable things to tell him not to do or her. And yeah, what else, what else can people do to kind of coach their recommenders in a good way? Uh, for those listening, if you ever would like to learn more about this, we have a whole section of, of blogs on the Grad School Roadmap website about, about recommendation letters. We have lots of information there. But I'll just say this, Tyler. Obviously, it, it, most applicants are asked to affirm with their signature that they had nothing whatsoever to do with the writing of those recommendation letters, that they absolutely mm. had nothing to do with that. Now, sadly, many of them do, and they're faced with a dilemma of how they're going to respond to that question. So that, and that's, that's, they have to make that call. But having said that, my recommendation to a client is when you have con when you have decided, okay, this person, you first need to think, is, is this person somebody I met at the drinking fountain or at a dinner party and he's the president of the company, but I've never had any action with him? He's not the one I want. Who is it that knows me long enough and well enough? Then when you have that decided, you, you ask them, and if they say, yes, I'll do this, your first mm -hmm. response is obviously, well, thank you so much. Is it possible for me to meet with you a few weeks before the recommendation is done? I have some things I'd like to share that I think could be helpful. And you actually set up a time, or maybe they're too busy, they can't meet, but they say, well, send me an email with it, whatever. But you send them a copy of your resume. You send them a copy of your, perhaps, an essay you've been working on. It doesn't have to be the, the final draft. But maybe one of your essay questions is, tell me about something you've accomplished of which you're most proud. That would be something for the recommender to know. Then right. if you're permitted, to, if, you've got a, if you've had an outstanding performance review and you're permitted to share that, you would want the recommender to see that of your most recent uh, uh, per performance 
evaluation. And then um, you, you want to provide a short statement about what it is you hope to accomplish while in that program and once you've left. What do you, what do you most want to get out of this educational experience? And what do you hope to accomplish? What are the next steps for you after you graduate? Then you, you give that to them and you let them take that and write the letter. Now, technically, the applicant should never see the letter ever under any circumstances right. at all. Now, some of my clients have gone so far and their recommenders to ask me, the, the, the recommender sends me their letter and lets me take a look at it and provide them feedback, which I'm most happy to do. But that type of information, a resume, a sample of an essay, a sample of a performance evaluation, some, some long-term goals, uh, and th- that gives this recommender something to add to what they already know about the applicant. And nine times out of 10 will result in a far better recommendation letter. Nine times out of 10. Nice. Very cool. Well, yeah, I think that that's all like really good feedback on this topic. And I think just in general, it's going to really help people get better letters of recommendation for their applications here and hopefully not have them be just like, uh, you know, I'm vice president. I approve this message. I, I am, uh, you know, as we kind of get close to wrapping up here, is there anything else that you want to cover today that you don't feel like we covered yet? In terms of recommendation letters, not, not in terms of that specific topic, no title. I think, I think we really covered some very good uh, and and com- and comprehensive aspects of this part of the application. But I would just like to say this in general: this I this what we've been talking about in terms of how recommendation letters are often not thought about very much by the applicant or the recommender. They're just an afterthought. Similarly. Mm-hmm. I don't always think individuals know or realize the importance of their essays, of a well-done essay, and of, of all the components of the application, the resume, the, the parts you fill in, as mundane as they are, as boring as that is, your name, your address, your military background, all, and you have to do this over and over again. But where you end up getting an application with recommendations, which nine times out of 10 are meaningless, essays that were not proofed, mistakes in the application, resumes with with breaks in them. You can imagine by the end of that, when you have 10 to 1 chances of getting in, or 1 in 10 chances of getting in, those things come to play. They If somebody has a, I don't care how, again, how accomplished they are, if they cannot take the time to prepare a, at not we're not looking for perfection sometimes there might be one mistake or two but if it's riddled with them and it's just clear this is a mishmash of a job that person's denied those i instructed my staff i don't even want to see them just i'll I, they're denied they, they they just there's no point in going any further so this is a snippet of what i consider to be a piece of of advice for applicants about any part of your application do your best to make sure it is what the admissions committee is asking and that they can read it in a way that they're not co- always correcting your mistakes or thinking, oh, my gosh, this person can't spell or what kind of vocabulary is that? If that if they get off track, 
your your credibility has already started to drop. Right. Yeah, and I think with recommendation letters in particular, that's where the like sort of doing going through the prep step can really help. Right? Yeah, because you can at least set expectations and get your recommender to at least put in a little bit more effort, probably just by virtue of having that conversation. No doubt about it. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Dr. Don Martin from the Grad School Roadmap. And Achievable has a great online GRE course that you can try for free by going to achievable.me and use the code podcast to get 10% off if you like it.